What's up? What's up? What's up? Welcome back. It is good to be in your ear again. Man, this is a good time to be alive, isn't it? This week, I got my main girl, my homie, my friend, Kelsey Grant, on the podcast. And before we get into deliciousness, uh, because, oh my gosh, we talk about having friends of the opposite sex and how do we do that or whatever gender is your jam and also we talk about man infidelity getting over that we talk about dating and how our biology throws us off and we ignore red flags and blah 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 blah, blah. so much amazingness that i want to take it away and before we begin i have an ask which is can you wherever you listen to this leave me a five-star review and a written review that is so helpful so grateful for all of you and your support. There's no sponsorships or ads on here, and that's because I want you to get straight to the gusto, so that's the way you can support me. It helps rocket this and get it into more people's ears. And so if you can share it, if any of this resonates, sharing it and tagging me on Instagram or Facebook or wherever you do your sharing, man, that is super helpful as well. So without further ado, here is the lovely Kelsey Grant. Make sure you tune in because at the end she drops some serious knowledge on some tips. Welcome to a new episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. This week, I have none other than Kelsey Grant. Hi, guys. What's Ladies, up? Ladies, people. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. So KG here, that's what we're going to call her for mm-hmm. a moment because I'm probably not going to keep that up, but <laughs> <laughs> she is one of my homies, one of my besties, mm. and I have, we've known each other for now almost seven years, I think. Yeah, it was like... 2012 when we met yeah and we go we met in vancouver but we're both originally albertans mm-hmm. for those that don't know what alberta is <laughs> it is a province in canada <laughs> which is like a state for the yes, americans yes. who might not know our geography Known quite as well oil and gas and yeah it's like beef. the texas of canada yeah. right that's it sort is. of a good that's like people I... have trucks with balls on the trailer hitch, you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Everybody knows those ball trucks. Especially in Calgary because of the Stampede, which is like a really famous rodeo. Yeah. And, you know, It is a good party. It's a good party. And so all the cowboys and cowgirls come to Calgary for, what, 10 days? Yeah, it's 10 days. And so, I mean, they should really give us some sort of tourism uh, affiliate for this, right? I, I think so. So it's considered one of the top 10 parties in the world. It is. I think it's a great place to go lose your values. <laughs> um, I think, you, and I say, you know, there was this bar in Calgary. I don't want to give them a shout out because it's so bad, but they used to have a line during the stampede that was, it's not cheating it's stampeding. Oh, I know. Ew. And they had a spray for your no. ring finger. No. That would like if you had a ring ten, no, they didn't. you would spray it. I know that's Man. horrendous. I know, and you know, people thought it was funny, and I, I'm sure actually I probably thought it was funny. Yeah. Now I don't think it's funny. Yeah. Now that my heart is open, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I would not find that funny. Also, like past trauma of you yeah. know having partners, yeah, infidelity and those things like that. Like I don't find that funny anymore once it's done to you. Yeah. Once you. <laughs> being cheated on although i did find it funny after post uh being cheated too on um but i think what's funny when i said like it's the type of party you go to which most really alcohol drug infused parties are really where you go for your values to die yes um and i say that having had my values fly 
out of my pocket <laughs> Me too. at the stampede. <laughs> um, so really, this is a perfect segue. It is. To the conversation today. Yeah. Um, what are we going to talk about? So Kelsey Grant has had sort of like a, I mean, her, she is massively skilled in the area of working with people in relationship. Mm. I mean, she has mentored and coached me through quite a few little nuggets. Um, <laughs> and uh, I mean, originally the work came from the idea of radical self-love mm-hmm. and I, mm-hmm. you know, self-love is kind of like the word wellness, kind of like, you know, the uh, terminology that is thrown around a lot, mm-hmm. but a lot of people don't, you know, they're like, well, what the fuck is that? Even yeah. like, oh, I go love myself. Like mm, easy, easy to say. We're like, am I supposed to just go masturbate? And you're like, well, actually mm-hmm. self-love can be masturbation. Maybe. That's not. We're not going to knock it. I mean, I, it's part. Whatever. I mean, it is a sense of getting to know and understand Absolutely. yourself, which knowing your own sexuality really helps when you're trying to tell a partner what yeah. to do. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what to do. Yeah, it's not fair to expect them to know how your body works when you don't even know. Yeah, and then we're mad at them for their <laughs> lack of performance. Like you use your how dare wrong. you? How I, dare you yeah. not know what I need when I don't even know what I need? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that's the funny thing about sexual communication. Mm. It's such a magnifying glass to all forms of communication. Absolutely. Interestingly, though, people can have like they can find their vulnerability in intimate communication. And they'll only be good at that Mm. versus um, I think for the most part, though, really how you communicate in the bedroom is pretty clear of Mm -hmm. how you communicate. Yeah. And it also can be like such a triggering area for people. So sometimes you can be really good at communicating your needs in every other area of your relationship. But in the bedroom, you're complete crap. Like you get stuck. Like it's almost like that communication gets stuck in your throat Mm -hmm. and you can't actually get it out of your mouth. And if that's the case, you know, there's usually some some trauma associated with that or some yeah, that makes sense. past experiences where you did communicate what you needed and maybe got shamed for it. Um, or just the other person reacted poorly because of their own shame. You know, there could be a million things going on there. But, you know, it's it's either like you're really good at communicating in the bedroom and then maybe not so well in other areas of your life or with other people. Yeah. Or, or with people who you care about versus yeah. like a stranger. You're like, yeah. yo, you're so boundary. Smack my ass. <laughs> you, know? you know, and you but, can tell them exactly what you want when you're never going to see them again. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> Just like people are the best at opening their hearts when they're traveling. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, I met this girl in a hostel and we fell in love in a week and then but I have a really hard time finding someone who lives in the same city. I think that's yeah, so Yeah, because then you have to see them over and over and over again. Yeah, you're both sort of in this fleeting mm-hmm. dance of hostile life. Yeah, you don't have to go too deep. She has an accent. And she's, <laughs> you know, they both have different They're both accents. tanned and like, yeah, yeah. you know, wearing like tons of coconut oil. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's yeah. nice and slippery mm-hmm. and fun for everybody. You don't need to use lube because you already are. You are Coconutted lube. oil. Yeah. You just grab some from your arm and just slide it. <laughs> This, for the record, all episodes of my podcast have an E. Because it's just, I mean, we're going to say it. And mm -hmm. it probably gets an E just for lubrication, you know? Which is great. It's great. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about life. Let's drop some F-bombs. Let's have some subjects that... Push boundaries. I love it. Yeah. And in the subject of, I mean, sex and sexuality and communication, I think it's, you know, I think it's really interesting that the very thing that makes us 
is the thing we actually not only experience so much shame mm-hmm. around, but is also one of the places that we can most find ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. like I remember reading a quote that said uh, two of them actually that I love. One was, if you don't be- ask someone who doesn't believe in God how they feel during an orgasm. <laughs> the other one was that um, you'll never be more vulnerable than during orgasm mm. because you literally are not capable of both orgasming and trying to control. Yeah. Which I thought that was really mm. true. That is true. I feel like at least in my experience, like there sometimes is a vulnerability hangover after having an orgasm with a partner because it is that cracking open. And like this Mm -hmm. revelation of all of me and I can't hide in that moment. And if I've been hiding in other pockets of my life or hiding in the relationship, it's that moment of clarity that I'm like, this is real confronting. And, you know, all of these other behaviors can come up after an orgasm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Everything becomes so much clearer Mm post-coitus, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The clarity of how you actually feel about yourself. (laughs) Did you want an Uber? You knew during, but you really want the Uber (laughs) post-coitus, you know? That's not totally untrue, Um, (laughs) you know? I think that that's, you know, I think for, I mean, obviously for women and men, I'm going to genderize. I made that word up. I like it. Um, And that is that, I mean, we know biologically that sex has a different impact Mm -hmm. on biological, like our neural hormones. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, like uh, which one is released when we, uh, dopamine is obviously released when we're in the, yeah, in the thrills of the chase and then oxytocin, which is released for breastfeeding and orgasms. Yeah. Essentially bonding. Yeah. So which makes your sense. lover becomes your baby. Yeah, exactly. And if you <laughs> ever wonder why you might catch feelings post whatever you're doing mm-hmm. for men, oxytocin lasts a shorter period of mm-hmm. time thought to be because of the interaction with testosterone. Yeah. So, you know, so it lasts, what is it like two to four yeah, two days? Two to three something? days. And then for women, it's right. about two to three weeks. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. Right. It's, a bit it's of both a mis- amazing. It's amazing. And if you're trying to randomly bang. It's very difficult. And also one of the downsides, at least in the sexual domain, is that it like omits your ability to see red flags. So just like a mother is bonded to her baby, she's not going to see the flaws or like the annoyance of that baby crying all the time. Because if she did, then she probably wouldn't feed it or she'd leave it alone. Yeah. And that baby wouldn't survive. And so the same effect happens when it's released, when we have sex with someone and we can't actually see the things that might actually be deal breakers in terms of sussing out relational alignment. Do you hear that people? (laughs) Do you hear that? Stop giving up the nookie so mm-hmm, quick because mm-hmm. it makes your brain not work. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, so on the subject of that, because mm-hmm. I think um, one, of, I think there's sort of two ways that we navigate intimacy in one, we can't feel seen and heard often because we haven't felt seen and heard ourselves mm-hmm. or we don't want to be, mm-hmm. right? And so our sex is very, it's just like a couple people masturbating with mm-hmm. each other. And then the other side of it is, when I went through heartbreak and then really sex was very sacred to me prior mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, you know, I've been doing this relationship thing and I've been going against the grain of what I've been, you know, 
pressured, Mm -hmm. not overtly pressured, but like friends who would be like, I remember I grinded with this chick at a bar (laughs) once when I was 17 (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I was in a relationship and I felt, I, sorry, I was 18. You could drink at 18 where I grew Mm up. Um, and so I, I danced with this chick. It wasn't anything real cool, but the next day I felt really guilty mm. and I told my friend and he was like, I will never forget this. He was like, you're not married. Like you get, and I remember being like, yeah, but this is like a value and a principle. Yeah. And when my heart got broken, I was like, I'm going to grind it up. Mm-hmm. But then because, so you're sort of caught, I was caught in this double bind mm. as a male. Um, but I'm sure this is true for women too. I was caught in this double bind as a male. One is I was terrified of people seeing that I'd been cheated on. Mm-hmm. I was embarrassed. Mm-hmm. I was, I mean, I didn't stand up for myself. Mm-hmm. There's another shame, more yeah. shame. I didn't want people to see that. I wanted people to think I was okay. So I started drinking more, mm-hmm. um, often time traveling, you know, <laughs> <as> <laughs> I, would, I would drink too much. Mm-hmm. Um, the only place I could find any form of vulnerability and being seen was insects. Mm. But then I would reel back mm-hmm. post coitus sobriety of like, <gasps> I've been seen. Mm-hmm. And then I would experience tons of anxiety yeah. because I was terrified that someone actually saw me and mm-hmm. they were going to, because every time I'd slept with someone before that, which was not many times, I only had two girlfriends, only mm-hmm. slept with two people. I was totally in love, which led to pain. And mm-hmm. then I was started, you know, you make this neural Building connection. Those associations. Yeah. And so I think it's fascinating that we both can hide completely and hide yeah. and don't get any sort of real pleasure mm-hmm. versus getting pleasure, but then being so terrified. Mm-hmm. And I think as we go along and get to know ourselves more, like our relationship to pleasure transforms. Like what was pleasurable to me when I was 20 years old and like my heart was really shut off and, you know, I didn't really know myself and I had real, no real interest in knowing myself. Like my relationship or experience of pleasure is so different. You know, if I look back, how many years is that? I guess like 17 years. Oh my God. That's crazy. Man. But, and now like my relationship to pleasure is one that like my heart does need to be invested. It does need to be connected, turned on open. And like that experience of wanting to just bang it out with a bunch of randos, you know, (laughs) it's transformed. Just so you guys know, that's the professional term. Yeah. Bang it out with a bunch of randos. You know, I think (laughs) it's come up in like coaching calls of like making jokes around like being a dick slayer, you know? Whoa. Hey. You know, going out and guys have no idea how chicks talk together. Oh, right? oh, know, yeah. You guys are a bunch of filthy, filthy animals. It's true. Like yeah. there you, is... you'd be comfortable in a hockey room. <laughs> Probably oh, would. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no offense, I if that's not true about you. You know, but like being in that mode of my life and in that chapter of my life, which is very different from how I view intimacy now, and like I can look back on that version of myself and be entertained by it but also have a lot of compassion because I know what I was going through emotionally during that time. And I don't know if it would have been possible for me to really open my heart because it would have opened, you know, all of this space to really have to dig into these wounds with my family system that I wasn't even close to being ready to, to work with and to touch and to talk about even. Yeah. And you don't even know it's shaping your choices, no. your avoidance of 
No, I had no idea. No idea. Man, I had no clue. I had no clue that a heartbreak had closed me off. You know, Mm. I remember I had this amazing girl that I went on some dates with and we were laying on the couch after we, this is post my engagement ending about eight months later, maybe a year. I am so terrified of relationship, but I think I just don't believe in relationship Mm. right now. Like I'm like rebelling against, I was like, what is monogamy? How can monogamy screw this shit? (laughs) Um, And I was sort of mad at what society had, I felt lied to me in a lot Mm. of ways. But I remember laying on the couch with her and her saying, I'm really starting to like you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, <gasps> and I, I was such a dick. I just mm. ghosted her. And <laughs> I saw her years later in mm-hmm. chapters with her, I think fiance or husband. She gave me a look like the look you give someone who ghosted you. Mm. Like, You're going to die. <laughs> That's that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I've definitely been in that camp too. You know, oh, man. like as soon as it, it, and it's an interesting experience being on both sides. And I'm sure you have too. Of There are times where I would start to develop feelings and get ghosted or like have that get weird. But then there were times where I got weird when they developed feelings and I was the one who hightailed it out of there. Yeah. It was like anyone it might work out with. Yeah. I was, I would constructively come up I mean, my chemistry was broken, mm-hmm. really, because I couldn't even trust myself. So I was yeah. drawn to people who it couldn't possibly, I mean, it could possibly, I don't want to say it couldn't mm-hmm. possibly work out, but that it really wasn't likely to, mm-hmm. you know, but they were great distractions. I'm sure I was a great yeah. distraction for them, you know, at the same time, for sure. because I, pff, that oxytocin made them ignore my red flags for sure. I was mm-hmm. like an Everest base camp. Yeah. Like this guy's so emotionally <laughs> unavailable. Like, and I was very clear about it. See, yeah. that's it. That's it is I would tell them. Oh yeah. And they would be like, uh, so when, cause I'm sure some, when we started talking and you started talking about that, there was a bunch of people listening and like, Mark, get back on that fucking topic. Uh, you <laughs> fucking ADD. So, when we are in the throes of dating, mm-hmm. you know, I used to use sex as a way of determining connection after mm-hmm. I was hurt. Instead of seeing that connection determines mm-hmm. intimacy. Mm-hmm. How do you recommend navigating mm-hmm. the dating world mm-hmm. with oxy minding your oxytocin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that you have to first be really, really, really honest with yourself. Like, are you actually wanting to date? And if you are wanting to date, what's your intention for dating? Are you dating with the intention of finding a partner and being in a relationship? Or are you just dating because you want to date and meet people? And like, that's totally fine too. Yeah. Or are you kind of in the dating pool because you just want a lover? Like all of those are appropriate. All of those are totally fine. Like there's nothing wrong with any of those. Where the problem is like right off the hop is people lie about what their intentions are and they lie to themselves. Mm-hmm. Like they're not being honest, even in the response no. to that question. They're yeah. like, I want a relationship when really they're not ready for one. And they know that, mm-hmm. but that's the whole point of dating is to play is to mm-hmm. like discover. Totally. I think people think they owe their life to someone they fucking went to Arby's with, Oh my God, you no. know? No. And like this, this is also a tricky thing for a lot of women to navigate because if you've got a lot of wounding in your back pocket that you haven't, started to unpack, you'll go on date number one and immediately start a relationship with this person in your head. Oh, the old 
head relationship. Head relationship. Not to be confused Not with oral sex. Not to be sex. confused with an oral sex relationship. <laughs> which, which would fall those under... Those people might enjoy. Yeah, under yeah. the lover category, which is... would fall under... Yeah, if your relationship is based on oral head. Yeah, yeah that's... Female, that's, male. That's a whatever. lover relationship. And those can work as long as you are clear on the parameters and you're clear on the agreements where I find a lot of lover relationships don't work is that they're not willing to talk about their agreements. And one person usually is misleading. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I'll do this lover. Sounds great. Yeah. And then secretly like, and that will make them, you know, I can convert them to be in a relationship where I can change their mind. My love will save them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have for sure done that one. Oh, let me just shortcut short version of the story. Don't fucking do it. No, it hurts. Like, oh, especially because you realize your own manipulation. Yeah. And then you're so mad at them. Oh, really? You're you're, so mad at yourself, mm -hmm. but it's so easy to be mad at them. Oh, yeah. Then we'll call them a narcissist. Yeah, let's just blame them. I really find that fascinating that we code all avoidant behavior as narcissism. It makes me so angry. Well, I just think it's fascinating because it's like people who are anxious, you know, both people have insecurity with intimacy. Mm -hmm. This is not to dismiss when true narcissism is present and it's very painful. So for those people, Mm -hmm. I hear you and I'm sorry. But I, I do find that very interesting that it sort of allows us a carte blanche to just, I mean, I've, I've never, the word is so rampantly used Mm -hmm. now and misused. And like, that's a clinical diagnosis. It's not something that as, you know, everyday, you know, day-to-day relationships, we're even equipped to diagnose. (laughs) And so to just throw that term around and I find when it gets thrown around, it's the best way to avoid personal responsibility. Exactly. Because everyone else who sings that song is going to join you in the chorus. Mm -hmm. And it's a great way to hold a placeholder in victimhood. It's a great way. Explain that more. So if I say you're a narcissist, that means that I've been victimized by you. I get a lot of attention and uh, probably a lot of feedback, coddling, like, oh, I'm so sorry. That Probably that surrounded by other people who have a similar view of the world because yeah, that yeah, would yeah. be what you would want. Absolutely. That's how humans yeah. hang out in and groups then, of the similar values and opinions. For sure. And if I'm holding that placeholder in victimhood, I don't actually have to change anything about my mm. behavior or the way that I'm operating. And it's just like this thing, it keeps happening to me. It keeps happening to me. I'm a victim and I am certainly not dismissing people who have legitimately been victimized and traumatized. Yeah. Like that's not what I'm talking about here. Um, I'm talking about people who just want to play the victim because they don't want to. Because they don't have a, boundaries. They don't have boundaries. They don't want to do the work. Like honestly, it comes down to a lot of lazy thinking. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to, you know, monitor my thoughts. I don't want to have to be intentional with my behavior. I don't want to get to know myself. So instead, I'm going to spin this and project it all onto the other person, make them the villain. Because when we say you're a narcissist and you fucked me over, we're saying you're the villain. And if there's a villain, there's a victim. Mm -hmm. And so when we play that game, literally nobody wins and you're just going to keep recreating the same dynamic over and over and over and becoming more and more cynical and jaded. (laughs) you know, and build up this really 
false context of what love and relationships actually are. And we Mm -hmm. will have no context for what a secure attachment looks like, because in order to move into that secure functioning zone, we have to be responsible. We have to be accountable for our side of the fence. I'm not responsible for the other person's side of the fence. Like I mow my own lawn. I keep my garden clean. And, (laughs) and, you know, a secure functioning container, both people are doing that. Yeah. And I mean, that's the, cause I hear that language all the time and it's, you're right. If you don't claim your story mm-hmm. as yours, you know, like just making this declaration that everything that has caught, gotten into my life is something I said yes to mm-hmm. in some way. In some way. I think that's, what's fascinating about us as people is we're obsessed with reading another book and wanting, and don't get me wrong. I love knowledge. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly reading I'm another nerd. book. Yeah. So I'll just throw myself in this category, I guess. But the idea being that, like I was saying to a friend the other day, you don't actually need to know why you do a behavior. If you know a behavior does not work, you don't have to know why you started doing it. You just need to know it doesn't work and you need to choose an upgraded behavior. But I think the part where we get stuck in wanting to know why is because we then can like classify it as not our fault. Mm -hmm. But again, it's like, sure, it's not your fault, which most, I mean, most of the Mm -hmm. things that happened to us in childhood are not not our fault. fault. Right. You know, other than choices we actually do make, but like, you know, your family are born into how Mm -hmm. your parents acted all what religion taught you that wasn't good, you know, whatever it is, but it's always our responsibility, Mm. what you do with it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can see two people come from the exact same family, an alcoholic father and one can destroy their life mm-hmm. and the other one can make it that they will never cause, yeah. you know, conscious destruction of anything. Absolutely. Which, I mean, it's, it's all about choice. Mm-hmm. It certainly is. And like when it comes to dating, like you have to claim your choice. Like you have to claim your side of the fence. You have to claim all of the experiences that you actively participated in. And you aren't responsible for someone else's behavior, but you're certainly responsible for yours. And when we get into these very codependent types of dynamics, like there's something going on that we're enabling that behavior. Like whenever I've been in those types of relationships, there's a part of me that's enabling that toxic behavior. There's something that I'm gaining out of it, whether that's And this is going to go into some shadow material, but like gaining the upper hand of being righteous, like, like, I'm so much better than you. I am so much more evolved. I have so much more integrity than you, Mm -hmm. even Mm -hmm. though I'm lying about what I want. Yeah. And And not standing up for my boundaries, not standing up for myself. And so it's, it's not easy to claim those shadow aspects and say, you know what? There are parts of me that are dysfunctional. There are parts of me that might be narcissistic. There are parts of me that, you know, are righteous. There are parts of me that are, you know, vindictive and vicious. And like, but that doesn't mean that's all of who I am. But if I reject those parts of myself, there's no way that I can really clean up my side of the fence. Mm. And if I can't fully clean up my side of the fence by owning that, yeah, there are parts of me that are tough to admit are there, you know, and, but they're there nonetheless. So either resist that I have those qualities. And when I resist it, I likely am going to act through those qualities. It's going to spill out either way. Either way. Because that part of us is usually loud. 
Oh yeah. yeah. And you, like <laughs> the thing is people think they're so sneaky at like hiding their shadow, but it literally like leeches out of every single cell of your being. When you're trying to hide something, you might think you're being like so slick, but other people can sniff that a mile away, especially if they've done their work and they can look at you and be like, Oh, what's happening there? You know, I can, I can feel when someone's incongruent with themselves only because I have done the work of making contact with my shadow. And that's not just a one-time thing. Like I have to constantly make contact with it, but also make contact with my joy and these parts of me that are compassionate and loving and kind and, and sweet and loving. Like I have to be able to hold the container for it all. And when I can hold my wholeness, then I can look at someone else and be like, okay, I see what's going on there. And then I choose whether or not I'm going to interact with that. Mm. Because if I, I can sense right away, and this happens by fucking up. This happens by having a lot of relational experiences that didn't go as planned. That's the whole idea. Yeah. And I don't see any of my past relationships as failures. I see them as incredible learning curves. Same. And those, every single relationship I had led me back to myself to some degree. And the things that I saw in my former partners that I couldn't be with, that I rejected, that I villainized, like those were the things that I was having the most trouble connecting to within myself. And so going through those pockets of being single, like that was the time to really start creating intimacy with those parts of myself. And then when I went back into the dating field, like to answer your original question of like how we do this and not get like bulldozed by the oxytocin and pace it properly, I realized that there were other phases of alignment that I hadn't been testing for, that I was allowing like the chemistry and the physical attraction to be the test for alignment. Mm -hmm. And maybe if we had some like things in common, that's great. And what I came to realize during my last, you know, phase of being single, I'm like, huh, did I actually test for emotional alignment? Like <laughs> their availability, their availability. Their yeah. When Are I, growing? yeah. Did they like share with me like their emotional interior? Did I share mine? Was I met with respect and kindness and consideration or were my boundaries bulldozed intellectually? Did I feel stimulated by this person? Could I learn from them? But my whole thing was, I'll be the teacher. I'll be the guide. Let me save you. Mm-hmm. So, Position of power. Yeah, I would be able, like, I was essentially untouchable because I was so much farther ahead, you know, and... That's such a, um, I mean, a lot of people live in that dynamic. I certainly have, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, then they never feel like enough because mm-hmm. literally we're always making them feel like they're never they enough. You work. Yeah. Oh, like you're still recovering from your old relationship. Mm. I'm good, mm-hmm. but you have to learn how to communicate better. Meanwhile, you know, the whole hierarchy. I'm going to sit on yeah. my throne up here <laughs> and look down on you, you peasant. You know, right. like it's it's They're, so gross. The strategy is to never have them meet us. Yeah. You know, it's such a strategy of unavailability that's masquerading mm. as I'm complete. I'm for sure. Know. I remember uh, when Kai and I, we remember like four months into our relationship. And I remember sort of realizing that a lot of our conversations were about her divorce. Mm. And like I'd been single for 
quite a while, mm-hmm. and, as you know. And mm-hmm. I remember saying to her, like, I want you to know, because I had that, I was like, this is, she, she might feel like this is stuff she needs to learn that I already know. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to her one day, like, I'm sorry if you feel like this is your work, mm-hmm. but it's our work mm-hmm. and I need to learn too. And, mm-hmm. and I remember there just being this sense of relief mm-hmm. and like, Oh yeah, I have been feeling that way. Yeah. Cause I mean, you come out of breakups and then for anyone who's listening to this, who's coming out of a breakup, mm-hmm. so easy to feel like, you know, if we're really hurting and how, well, when is the right time to start dating? Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like so easy to feel like, we fucked up. We didn't know what we were doing, especially we're if we have a lot of goods. shame, about, yeah. especially for divorce. Yeah. You know, but if you got divorced, let me tell you, it's actually one of the favorite things I love about guy. Mm. Cause it's mm. what boom, you know, like sprung her into her own personal yeah. growth and understanding. Well, and also I think this is my personal perspective on it. Like people who are willing to commit inside of a container of marriage, like those people I have so much admiration for and so much respect for, because on some level, they truly do respect the essence of partnership and the essence of commitment. And just because we commit in a relationship doesn't you know, obligate us to stay in something for forever. And I don't see a divorce as a sign of a failed relationship. Mm-hmm. I see that as an evolution of the relationship so that you can actually stay congruent with love because it's not always the most loving thing to stay with someone that you're growing in different directions. You want Mm -hmm. different things, or if they keep, you know, bulldozing your boundaries or breaking the relationship agreements, like that doesn't make you um, anything better to stay in a relationship that's insulting your soul. Right. You know, and there are some times when we get into a marriage and things change, like you cannot predict the future. You can't predict what someone's free will is going to do. And so just because someone's divorced doesn't mean that their relationship was a failure or that they're a failure. Oh my God. I I totally agree with you. And I think in assuming we use our breakups as information, Mm -hmm. you know, like I was saying to uh, some people the other day that you know, someone was asking, how do you get over infidelity? Mm. <laughs> and I was like, well, first off, that sucks, right? Because mm-hmm. that's such mm-hmm. a hard, the grief, the betrayal, yeah. so much to so process. Much. Yeah. Especially because it's such a, a um, it's an evidence-based betrayal, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to like, when someone breaks up with us, that feels, you know, like a betrayal because mm-hmm. it's a betrayal against mm-hmm. a story that we had agreed yeah. upon. That we This said, was our forever. Yes, we said. <laughs> You accepted my Facebook relationship request, <laughs> you know, and I think, I mean, I think that's the first part. And then obviously if you want to work through it, that's a choice. Sure, and then yeah. you got to decide mm-hmm. how do we rebuild the trust? Mm-hmm. What do I need to rebuild trust from you? And you yeah, can yeah. decide that you, I don't get to read your phone or I don't mm-hmm. get, to, you can decide that, but then I got to stand in that yeah, truth. For sure. And I was saying, but at some point you might not be ready for it, but I was like, but at some point you also have to ask how you participated in yes. that because, Absolutely. you know, the cheater isn't the villain. No. Now it's a coke. And I got told that was victim shaming, you know, because people who get cheated on are vic- they already are victims. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah. Sure. Um, but it's a, it's an expressive behavior, you know, like mm-hmm. cheating is a, a behavior that is expressed of something in the relationship or undealt with. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. I mean, you know, my last relationship, like there was 
so much infidelity in that relationship. And it would have been very easy for me to stand on my throne and be like, this is all you. Mm -hmm. You are a monster. (laughs) And I remember having conversations with him, you know, after it all came out of like being really real with him of, I actually don't see you as a monster. I know you think you might be, Mm -hmm. but I know you're not. And I know that you're punishing me for something that I didn't do to you. Like you're angry at someone and I have a sense of who that might be and it's being taken out in our relationship. And then I also knew my part in it. I knew my part, you know, early, early, early on in the relationship where I overstepped these intuitive hits that I kept getting and I kept rationalizing them away. Mm. I'm like, no, no, no. Like he, no, no. That feeling that I'm getting around that chick. No, like you're (laughs) crazy. Like, and I would invalidate myself. And so that was one of my big lessons inside of that relationship was learning how to validate my own intuition and stand behind it. And now knowing like, and it was a tough lesson because, but it was a really potent one because now I viscerally know what that feeling is Mm. in my body. So beautiful, right? Yeah. And like, if it ever were to come up again, I know to trust it and like, okay, that actually means like, this is a no fly zone for me. Yeah. Like I'm not going to proceed going forward and I'm not going to make excuses for this shitty behavior. Yeah. And you know, to get curious when like the little hit of that intuitive, Mm -hmm. like, huh. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's such a beautiful thing for people to learn is, you know, for me too, is when I, like when I was cheated on when I was 19, oh my God, intuitive fucking two by fours to the head. <laughs> but I was like, no, no, I don't want to, what happens if I lose her? I already lost her. That mm-hmm. I mean, I had already lost myself because I agreed to things I didn't want to agree to. Yeah. So I, you know, I, when I talk to people who've gone through, you know, similar things, I'm always like, at what point did you abandon you? Mm-hmm. Like, at what <laughs> point did you leave you in the relationship mm-hmm. suffering, mm-hmm. knowing because you didn't want it to end or you didn't want to stir the pot or you didn't want conflict or you didn't want to stand up for yourself. So starve for love. Yeah. <sighs> oh, man. And I look back and I'm like, that poor version of me, mm-hmm. like, who just took it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oof. Well, and... Like if I was to pinpoint that point for me in the last relationship, that would have been like two months into our relationship. <laughs> uh, how long did you date? Uh, four years. Right. Yeah. Mine would have been, I mean, it would have been right when we decided she was going away for school. Yeah. So it would have been literally the moment I agreed mm-hmm. to stay in the relationship and be okay with dating other people if we told each other. Mm. That was the moment, because I didn't actually want to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the moment. Mm-hmm. And what happened was what happens when you agree to shit. You don't mm-hmm. want to do, mm-hmm. you know, and I have <sighs> to say though, like, Great even learning. though that was, you know, arguably a b- bit of a train wreck of a relationship, <laughs> it inevitably brought me into my soul work. Same, you know, and I can't ever like think ill of him because without him, I wouldn't have found what I was supposed to be doing. And so, yeah. you know, so that relationship is always one that you know, it's, it's a tough lesson, but also like such a divine lesson. And it got me on track. It got me into the domain of claiming my purpose and living through my purpose. Like that whole radical self-love was birthed when we broke um, up the first time. Fidelity, that's right. Yeah. And 
I was like so wrecked by your own plan. Yeah. And we had been dating for six months and then, you know, he comes over and out of the blue breaks up with me and like logically I'm like, Kelsey, you've only been together for six months. Like this doesn't make sense why you're this upset. And when I was sitting in meditation, you know, post breakup, like what came through was, well, this is just unearthed all the breakups that you haven't actually felt your way through. So you're now processing, you know, that other four-year relationship that you just stepped right on over and stepped into another one, you know, the two-year one before that. That must have been a good breakup then. (laughs) Oh, you know what happened? You know what happened after that first four-year relationship? I went to the Stampede and I found myself a new boyfriend two days later. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Stampede relationships are usually, (laughs) I mean, no offense if you met during the Stampede kids. (laughs) But most of them. Most of them don't work yeah. out. Most relationships. The birth control <laughs> pill actually stopped a lot of relationships from staying together yeah. after the stampede. Yeah, no kidding. My gosh. Anyway, well, but that yeah, was a nice like, callback to the stampede. And so, exactly. Yeah. And so, like, that whole concept of radical self-love, like, Kelsey, like, you're looking to him to fill this void that you have never learned to fill yourself. Mm. Like you've been looking to other people to love you in ways that you refuse to love yourself. And that whole word radical didn't mean extreme for me. It meant the root. So the root of my capacity to love, like the baseline, the foundation of my capacity to love others was rooted in my ability to finally learn how to love myself. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, having been friends with you at that time, actually really in the beginning of our mm-hmm. friendship, my mm-hmm. first year, mm-hmm. uh, that that radicalness was really about like, fuck all what is not self-love. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go so deep and mm-hmm. document mm-hmm. and record. Mm-hmm. And like, and then you've done so much beautiful work of leading people through that same pathway back mm-hmm. to you. And then all the ways in which that four-year relationship taught you adjustments to the mm-hmm. program mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. so much more, you know, yeah. and that, I love how you tied it. So um, how it's also serendipitous and synchronistic, mm-hmm. like, for me, you know, that breakup, then dating, I took a lot longer than you in this. This is a pattern actually in my life. Kai and I were talking about our relationship at Wanderlust. She was like, so after my divorce, I really started to read. And I was like, after my engagement ended, I drank beer in like much longer period of time, but it was about seven years later that my engagement ended. Mm-hmm. And I never even let that woman love me, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, mm-hmm. I didn't really unpack the impact of, but that's what my engagement ending is what brought me on my path too. Mm-hmm. And so it's amazing. I know for a lot of people, when you say the perspective of like, listen, you got two ways to see life. One, everything happens for a reason or nothing happens for nothing. Mm-hmm. And you're just fucking this floating cellular yeah. junk. There's no point. And you're going to bump into shit yeah. and that's going to be your partner. And yeah. Then you're going to eat pizza and call and it a it. life. Yeah. That's it. Sign off. But I'm like, when you actually start to look at life, it's very intentional. Mm-hmm. I remember going through a breakup like four years ago and literally the moment I was leaving her house, I went to her house knowing we were going to break up. Mm-hmm. I had yogurt with granola. I remember. And when <laughs> I, I was parking my car, I, <laughs> I remember being like, well, this conversation will be quick. And I put the yogurt with granola down on the floor of the car because I knew she was going to break up with me. Uh-huh. So I got in the house and I actually felt like I should have broken up with her three weeks later. So uh-huh. you know how when someone breaks up with you and you 
knew you should have. Yeah, and you you're get like, all gracious about it. You're yeah. Like, oh. You're like, man, I should have reverse dumped you. Mm-hmm. But now, so I get Took in my there. moment of glory. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you think you're dumping me. I already uh, dumped you. Three weeks. Yeah, in my head. I just forgot to tell you. <laughs> I didn't forget to tell her. I actually really wanted it to work out. And that's why I stayed past the point of self-abandonment because mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. there's another lesson, intuitive hit, ignored it. This is where you end up dropping your yogurt on the fucking floor of your car and going to get broken up with when you don't listen. <laughs> so I go inside, I get dumped. It was really great. And I say, so I get out of her house, grab my yogurt, fuel up. And I'm like, what is this here to teach me? Because mm. I was so, I was hurt. Mm-hmm. Like, but it wasn't one of those ones where I was like 19 listening to boys to men end mm-hmm. of the road. Oh my God, that's oh God. a doozy, right? Yeah. I would say, thank God Adele wasn't around when I was in my more tender emotional breakup yeah. years. Cause she's, she'll hit you. Oh gosh. I don't know that I could have made it through. I know. Like, hello. No. And I'm like, goodbye. <laughs> she, she used to say hello when she called. Um, <laughs> so I literally, the moment I left her house, I was like, what am I supposed to learn? Yeah. And that, man, I wish you could Google breakups when I was young. Because if someone had just been like, you have something to learn from everything, mm-hmm. everything is connected. Mm-hmm. I mean, she taught me in the short period of time. I remember she said to me, uh, first, she made me start my Instagram. You're welcome. Create the love. Fuck, mm-hmm. right? Like, thank you. Yeah. And then the other side is, I remember she said to me, you see things so black and white. Mm-hmm. And the world is everything in between. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's so true. Mm-hmm. I could tell you that every single piece of feedback I've ever gotten from a female partner has always been with the intention. And this isn't always true about partners, just so we're clear, but mm-hmm. I have had the blessing, mm-hmm. not always listening, but every woman that has called me out mm-hmm. has been my greatest teacher. Mm-hmm. Like every woman that like was like, you're afraid to grow up, mm-hmm. you manipulate you do that i was like <laughs> you're right shit damn it it's like <laughs> people are such good teachers mm-hmm. relationships absolutely like i learn the most in the container of a relationship oh. you know yeah. i i love that whole concept of you think that you're evolved and like you actually see how evolved and integrated you actually are once you enter into a relationship like you can be all good on your own because no one is ever feeding anything back to you. Right. No and so you can be you know. so conscious when you're single because there's there's nothing happening there. There's no mirror. There's no feedback. But when you're in a relationship, all of your shit gets triggered. And then you get to see just how far you've come. And Totally right. <laughs> you know, Who are you when someone disagrees with yeah, you? Yeah, when and, things don't go your way. Yeah. And, you know like I'm so grateful for the relationship I'm in now because it shows me in many, many ways, the quantum leaps that have happened since that other relationship. But also I'm not perfect. Like, let's be clear. Like, like my time when I was single post that breakup didn't get me to this place of perfection where my shit doesn't get triggered. In fact, like deeper stuff is getting triggered Mm. now. Mm -hmm. And our relationship is this really safe container for me to process it in a way that I've never been able to be met or be able to be seen or heard or witnessed before inside of a romantic relationship. But it also means that I have to really be mindful because there are times when I just want to go off 
on my old, you know, ways of being and either just turn off, turn away, say, fuck this, fuck you. And I'm out of here. And that doesn't work. And so I've had to learn how to. What works for a bit. (laughs) It's arguable. Yeah, that's what I mean. You know, and so now it's about expanding my tolerance for that discomfort. And we don't communicate in ways that are disrespectful to each other. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of agreements around how we interact, how we deal with conflict, how we navigate. But that doesn't mean that we don't experience conflict. You know, we're just, we're just getting really well-versed in repair. And I know his deepest wounds, he knows mine. And then we've also given each other the, essentially like the golden ticket, which is, this is the thing that helps soothe me in those moments where that wound hijacks my system. What is it for you? So for me, like the things that are the oldest are betrayal, are rejection, and humiliation. So whenever I feel like I'm being rejected or humiliated or made fun of, um, that can be really, really tr- triggering. And because of, you know, the infidelity that's been in my past, like I can be very, very hypersensitive to things like going out and partying and drinking where we kind of lose our capacity mm-hmm. to make good life like choices. Templates that have led. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To, yeah. Like, gateways. Yeah. Like the stampede. Like the stampede. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, anytime that that gets triggered in me, you know, he knows what to, to say to soothe me and not just to be like, okay, I need to say this to soothe her. And like, then she calms down and I can go and do whatever I want, you know, but he's very, very good about creating emotional safety for me. And he's like, listen, like we're going to navigate through this together. Like you're not in it alone. And that's monumental for me because I've always felt like I've been going at it alone. And that's partly me, you know, isolating myself and not letting people in and being the one that everyone comes to for Mm. support. I don't know what that's like. Yeah. Yeah. I never heard that. And, uh, (laughs) (laughs) And then, so to have him, you know, essentially like hold my hand through it and say like, I'm your teammate and we're going to come up with a plan together and each, you know, incident is going to be different. So we'll check in before like I go to certain functions or do certain things and we'll, we'll make a plan of what you need to be supported. And as soon as he did that, I'm like, okay, great. Because I want you to have what you need too. This isn't about you never going out ever again and like never drinking or never partying or never doing anything that could possibly trigger me. Uh, It's a matter of how do we, you know, both get what we need and create a really safe container for your stuff to come up and for me to navigate that with you and be really sensitive, but also call you forward into your greatest version. Because if he was just complacent with me and like kind of tiptoeing around my wound, I would never evolve. When you'd never trust them. No. That'd be what every man is. Yeah. You know, it's like when we do that, we can't trust people because they're afraid to make us upset. Mm -hmm. And if someone's afraid to make us upset, then we're afraid they'll ever call us to be greater. Mm -hmm. And we don't respect them. Mm -mm. Even though their job is, and I guess in the context of a man, that would be a man being the nice guy. Yes. Who's like, oh, I don't, are you okay? How can I? And the Mm -hmm. woman's just like show up. Where is your backbone? Tell me to stop. Yeah. I love how Alison Armstrong has that line in one of her programs where she says, 
Um, when a man says no, we kind of go, ooh, here you, <laughs> you showed up. Yeah, it's like an instant turn on. Although, like, my ego is like, <laughs> what? But then my body is like, oh, yeah, Let, oh, let's I, get it on. Yeah. <laughs> and when my partner sets boundaries with me, I find it incredibly erotic. But also, <laughs> I hear that, everybody? You create eroticism when you create separation. Yeah. Not separation as in no access, but mm-hmm. separation as in separating who you are mm-hmm. from who they are. Yeah. And when he Huge. when he tells me, he's like, Kelsey, that doesn't feel good to me what you just did. The way that you said that was not okay. And I'm like, oh. You're like, you're so hot. <sighs> he is hot. He is. Oh, he's a babe. He's a, he's a babelicious. Oh, my God. I, like, I was literally like. I'm straight, but he moves it a little bit. Yeah. Like, he, he was, we were watching a show yesterday, and I just was, like, staring at him. I mean, like, <laughs> God, you're a masterpiece. You know? <laughs> very funny, too. Oh, my God. So, so funny. Uh, you know, and humor is such a great way mm-hmm. to, it's one of the best skills for repair. Yeah. As long as it's not being used as a way to, to avoid. Yeah. And I've had that. I was really good at that. You know, I've had that before where someone will like poke fun and like make fun of my need and put me down. That's not cool. No. And like, oh, I'm just kidding. I'm like, no, that's not funny. Yeah. And And it's not really kidding. It's no, it's it's not knowing how to meet the need and hold it. And And so we make a joke Mm -hmm. hoping your need will go away Mm because you'll feel ashamed. Yeah. It's not an intentionally mean act. No. Well, sometimes Sometimes it it might be. be. Um, One thing I wanted to bring back is when you were talking about that your sensitivity potentially to someone going out and Mm -hmm. partying Mm -hmm. and doing those things that could lead to Mm -hmm. the potential of betrayal or bad choices, right? Mm -hmm. Alcohol doesn't. No one's been like, I had so much alcohol. Then I made the best choices I've ever made in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Nachos could be a good, or tacos are a good life choice. But other than that, (laughs) late night Chinese food, good choice. Mm -hmm. Um, But what's interesting about that is it would be so easy and such a simple thing to say and a control, try to control it. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to go out. I don't like no more Mm -hmm. drinking. I don't like when you text people who are women, you know, and those types of things versus what a cool thing that what's happening is, which I know you is happened for a while is like someone actually teaching with you how to dance in that mm-hmm. to get your needs met and to yeah. set boundaries, yeah. but not try to over control them. Mm-hmm. So for people listening, if that's mm-hmm. how you've normally navigated that is mm-hmm. I just won't date people who go out. <laughs> I just won't date people who have any, <laughs> any, uh, any, whatever threatening gender is the friend yeah. that threatens. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and like, it's so interesting because he's in the world of relational development too. Yeah. And so a big trigger for me is the DM. So, you know, women. That's how your relationship started. So I get it. I know. But also like there's a lot of trauma from my last relationship of, you know, DMs being, you know, really, really shady conversations that were gateways to, Mm -hmm. you know, me getting really, really hurt. And so, you know, it was something that I had to sit with when we first started getting to know each other because I'm like the more exposure he gets in this industry. He's a good looking guy. He's emotionally intelligent and he makes people feel things on such a deep level. And he's funny. And he's funny. 
you know, and he's also, I think I already said this, but he's very, very attractive. So like, like it's like, we're just going to, as the cover for this podcast, it's just going to be Jamie. Yeah. It's just a space. <laughs> Toronto beard. Oh yeah. It's so good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I knew I'm like, as he gets bigger, like it's inevitable that women are going to be coming into his force field and they're going to be sliding into his DM and so I had to sit with myself and like, Kelsey, like, are you capable of being in a relationship with someone and not trying to micromanage their life and control what comes in because you're like really exhausted? Yeah. And like, you're threatened because that's what happened in your last relationship. And so it's been this constant, you know, tolerance building for me in terms of reminding myself of like, wait, he's so different than your last partner. And he's so good about being transparent and he's actually given me a ton of evidence that he is safe. Yeah. Well, and it's so beautiful that instead of you holding that on your own and like mm-hmm. tolerating it mm-hmm. and like anxiety, anxiety, it's like you get to share that. Mm-hmm. And then he gets to say, what do you need mm-hmm. in order to learn how to trust this? Cause yeah. I'm transparent. Yeah. Do you need access? Do you want to read my DMs? Do you want to, yeah. Like I would could care less if Kai went and checked all my DMs yeah. and checked because I'm to There's me it's nothing like, in there. Yeah, and, I, yeah. and if she ever felt like she needed to, I would just want to understand why, but say, mm-hmm. yeah, go for it. Yeah. You know, and it's I think that's such a beautiful part of relationship is you could do it alone or you could say no to men who have that potential, mm-hmm. but you also would be depriving yourself of what you get from him that makes him, mm-hmm. you know, have the the platform that he has and the experience mm-hmm. that he has and the platform you have, you would be limiting your own development. For sure. And that's such a cool thing about relationship, you know, is that we could avoid these things or we could not talk about them or like most people, they would bite their tongue mm-hmm. and say, this is my shit from my past relationship. It's not fair to them. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you as a man, if a woman said to me, I went through this stuff and I just need your support. Mm-hmm in helping heal it. Cause mm-hmm. you do not deserve to inherit the distrust of my last partner, mm-hmm. but I really would love it if you could help me trust again. Yeah. And, Oh man, that mo- most men would be like, fix. I will fix yes. this. Yes. You're giving me an actual assignment. Hey, this is amazing. Awesome. Normally you guys <laughs> give us fucking sneaky assignments. We don't even know we're on. It's nice when you actually tell us what you want. <laughs> Yeah, being clear and direct. (laughs) That's so nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's also a recipe for success. Yeah. It actually works when you tell us. Yeah. Oh, man. And it it goes both ways. Like, I've had guys be indirect too, and like, where they play this whole game. And like, I think this is just people in general play this game of if it's true love. Oh, yeah. They will be able to mind read every single need that I have. And I won't need to tell them anything. They'll just get you. Yeah, they'll just know. And it'll just work. <laughs> uh, newsflash it. That's not how it works. That is not how it works. At all. You're going to have to learn how to express what you need and mm-hmm. say what's okay and what's not. Mm-hmm. And that is like just all part of it. Yeah. What about, do you think, and I this will, I think, be very topical for many people, is how does one in a relationship, you know, cultivate friendships with the same gender that Mm -hmm. we are attracted to Mm -hmm. um, and still maintain security in the relationship. You know, I Mm -hmm. think this is obviously um, topical for my relationship too. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but what do you think is paramount, you know, like for women who enter Jamie's life and for mm-hmm. um, men who enter yours? Yeah. What allows him or you or you to feel secure in those friendships? I mean, he doesn't have a ton of girlfriends, so we haven't really had to navigate that too intensely. Um, but what I found like right from the beginning, the couple girlfriends that he does have, he's very open about those relationships and he doesn't hide when he's talking to them or when he's going to meet them for lunch or coffee or, you know, and I think something for me that helps me feel really secure is meeting them. So once I've met someone and my body does a scan on them, Mm -hmm. for me, it's, it's very easy to be like, Oh, okay. And then, you know, building a connection with them as well. And so, and I have a lot of guy friends, you know, mm-hmm. and that was one of my protection mechanisms for a long time. Just build a band of brothers around me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it was essential for my healing. Like I needed that. And then it got to a point where I needed girlfriends too. And, but I, I do have a lot of close guy friends. And so I'm always making sure that he knows who these people are and that he's met them and he knows what the relational dynamic is there. And if he ever had any questions or if he needed to talk about it, that is always on the table and open for discussion. And, you know, so far, like there hasn't been a threat, you know, and if, if there was, I know he would bring it to me and Mm -hmm. I would bring it to him and not in a way that it's accusing him of doing something bad that he shouldn't be doing, but more so, Hey, this is a feeling I'm feeling, Mm -hmm. you know, this is an experience I'm having and will you help me unpack it? And I find that's really helpful with opposite gender friends, like to have your partner know them and, you know, as best that they can, they don't have to be BFFs if they don't want to be, but like, I don't know why he wouldn't want to be BFFs with my, yeah. my friends. Cause all of you are great. Fuck yeah, Jamie. <laughs> Text her brother, you know? um, yeah. And I think for like for Kai and I, cause I have a lot of female friends, she has some male friends. It has been about, First off, that the friends make an effort yeah. to get to know each mm-hmm. other, yeah. like each one of us. Mm-hmm. And that, um, yeah, there is no, like there's no need to omit information. Or, no. And, you know, if we start omitting information, fearing that it will trigger our partner, mm-hmm. we are not trusting them to make, to deal with the information mm-hmm. on their own. And then mm-hmm. it just creates more secrecy around yeah. it, which it then triggers weird. it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's like, you want your, you know, because if you have an amazing, you know, uh, friend who could also be such like a great friend of your partner why would you not want that yeah like you and Kai are homies Mm -hmm. you know I'm so happy that's Mm -hmm. amazing well and I remember us having a conversation years ago I was like Mark whoever you end up with needs to be my best friend too (laughs) (laughs) that'll make things a lot easier that's good yeah, then you know both of us, and then it can be like, is this me or is this Kai? Yeah. Please say it's Kai. Please say it's Kai. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh. Well, and I think you know, being your friend and like a female friend of yours, like that was also really important for me to build a relationship with your partner, so that yeah. she didn't feel that there was any threat because there isn't, you know. And and that goes for all of my guy friends. Like it's critical for me to build relationships with their partners so that they know that I am a non-threat, that I'm just as much their ally and, you know, I've got their back as I have their partners, mm-hmm. you know, because if you're choosing her and she's your person, why wouldn't I want to celebrate that? 
Like she makes you so happy and that makes me as your friend happy. And it never made sense to me, like people who wouldn't make an effort with their friends, significant others. Yeah. That doesn't make sense to me either. That shows that there's still some sort of triangulation happening and that's just hard to trust. There's no transparency. Mm -hmm. So it's automatically going to trigger a little, uh, intuitive hits for people Mm -hmm. uh, because there's just not a conversation about it. Like, why is it that I haven't met so-and-so and Mm -hmm. And you're okay to ask that. I mean, gosh, Mm -hmm. you're okay to want to build trust in whatever area, you know, you need to build trust in. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think what about, okay. What about being friends with the exes? Hmm. I mean, I have opinions on this. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I personally, like any of my long-term relationships, I'm I'm not really friends with them. I don't wish amicable. Yeah. We're amicable, but like, do I want to go out for coffee and like hang out with them? No, I don't. Um, do I wish them well? Absolutely. And I, I guess sometimes it could work but I think that that's the exception. And for me personally, I'm like, what are we still not complete with mm-hmm. that? We need to keep this person in our field. And that to me would be a huge trigger, you know, of, yeah, you know, and I get that there's like a phase of time where, you know, post breakup, you're kind of finding your footing with being single again. And like, relating to them differently. So you might have a couple conversations or like, you know, get to that completion conversation a couple months down the line. But after that happens, like to me, like at least for my ability to fully invest into another relationship, I got to close those back doors. That's the same. You know, it's like you can't have 10% of you in what was and expect to be fully in what is. Yeah. And I, you know, part of that is the closing of the door, the letting go of the relationship and mm-hmm. allowing it to come to completion mm-hmm. and knowing that you can still be friends, but not text all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I see couples all the time that share a dog or something. Mm-hmm. I'm like, just why don't you keep the dog? Mm-hmm. Like, I get it, but it's still a tether to an old. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you can't do that with a kid. Yeah, I was just going to say, what can't what do about that? Kids? You keep the kid. <laughs> Although people do try that, I guess um, which is sad, but the when there's kids, there just has to be boundaries around mm-hmm. and what that looks like. Cause there's a difference between a, a co-parent yep. and an Enmeshment. ex. Yeah. yeah. Of like, how do we respect their role and my role? And mm-hmm. now the connection that I have with my new partner mm-hmm. or maybe not even new, right. My, my relationship yeah. is primary. For it sure. needs to be honored and mm-hmm. respected. Like the connection I have with Kai, I love everybody. But the connection I have with Kai comes ahead of everything. Mm-hmm. The respect for it, the nurturing of it, the loving of it. Yeah. It has to. She has to feel that mm. that Safety, no matter yeah. what, even if my mom and I got into something, I gotta have Kai and then my mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know, it like puts me in this place where it's like, not that that would ever happen, but if it did happen, it has to. Yeah. You know, and I remember hearing the other day someone saying, like, to someone else, you'll never be more important than my mom. So mm. I was like, well, that just fractured a ton of security. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, or it's like, I'm Italian. I got to, you know, my mom and I are real close. I'm like, well, it's not really a cultural thing, but I feel like mm-hmm. Italian's a good excuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's a perfect way to keep that enmeshment going and never have to <laughs> fully invest into your relationship because you're monogamous with your mother. Yeah, that you're in a primary relationship with them. And so the mm-hmm. partner always feels like they come second. Yeah, which they do. 
Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, because they do. they do. And your relationship can never truly thrive until your partner is your primary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's a tough thing. Like, and again, it goes back to like doing your inner work because until we do our inner work, we're going to see that potentially as a threat. Like, Oh, what are you telling me? I can't have a relationship with my mom. Oh, I'm supposed to kick my mom to the curb. No, God, no, no, but you're supposed to have boundaries. Yeah. You're supposed to let your mom be your mom. Yeah. You're meant to individuate from your parents and this is, you know, not just for men, like this is for women too. Like yeah. you've got to individuate from your parents. You've got to become an adult or you're just going to be a child in your romantic relationships and expect your partner to parent you. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because often the response to any sort of feedback like that is such overt defensiveness mm-hmm. because of course there's shame mm-hmm. and guilt, mm-hmm. which of course is what, I mean, I say this with love for moms, but moms are masters at guilt. Oh yeah. Oh, especially yeah. Ca- I'm Catholic. So we Oh have, yeah, me too. We have inherited Catholic guilt. Mm-hmm. Oh god, the yeah, Catholics really know intense. how to really They really know how to do yeah, it. Yeah, they were good. Centuries of <laughs> yeah, you know, leading a... with guilt and shame. <laughs> oh, you know, do something to the collective psyche. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> All right, so what are the top 3 tips you could give to a lovely single person on how to get into and attract what are your top three? <laughs> I've never asked this question before. Top three to like attract their ideal yeah. partner. Yeah. And get them in there. Oh gosh. Lock them down. Swipe right. I know. This is a big question. Top three. You can only pick three. Um, okay. The first thing I would say is create intimacy with your own emotional interior. What do you mean? I mean, learn to feel your feelings. How do you do that? Uh, you need to expand your language around emotions. So even just, there's a really good book. It's called, It's Not Always Depression. Ooh, it's my hot button right now. Mm-hmm. So good. We'll put it's it in the show notes. Book. It's amazing. Amazing. And her whole philosophy is quite simple, which I like. And she boils it down to seven primary core emotions. So if there's only seven, you can remember those. So they're fear. I don't remember all. Grief. <laughs> disgust. <laughs> anger. Excitement joy, and sexual excitement. Those are the seven. So if you start cultivating an intimate relationship with those seven, like you have a feeling, can you at least put it in one of those categories? Or at least there could be multiple categories that Mm -hmm. are firing up, but that will start creating some emotional intimacy for you because there's no way that you could ever communicate to a partner what you're feeling or what you need if you don't know what is going on in your emotional interior. Beautiful. So, so number that would one, be- get to know your emotional interior. Yeah. Number two. Number two is really get to work at building a life that you really love being in. On your own. On your own. Because if you don't like your life, why would someone else want to join you in that? Like, if you yeah. don't like who you are, why would somebody else want to come into that? Well, you won't even believe you're worthy of yeah. someone who's great now. It doesn't make any sense. So get to love your life, you know, create a life you love, create a, yeah, a life you love. And like a lot of that comes down to living each day with purpose and meaning. How do you do that? Even just ask that question. What, what would, would be, me? what would bring me purpose today? A sense of purpose. What would bring me a sense of meaning and fulfillment today? And it can be in these micro moments of life. 
You know, you can hold a door open for a stranger and have that micro moment of human connection and feel a sense of significance, meaning, and purpose. Mm. So Spend you, the day not looking down at your goddamn phone. Oh, That'd yeah. be helpful. Yeah. That's, Look in someone's eyes so you can make a connection and you can trade horny eye stares and then you can meet. Instead <laughs> of using Google Maps, use Google Human. And you just say, hey, <laughs> hey how do I find, what's hello. the best coffee shop near here? Hello. Yeah, I love your jeans. Yeah, I love your eyes. <laughs> yeah, like, think about that. Let's go back to that. Mm-hmm. Okay, number three. Oh, okay. Well, there's there's two things that are kind of popular. All right. Up. Let's hear the first one, and I'll decide if you get a fourth. Okay. On so the throne over here. <laughs> I'll decide. I'll decide. Um, my <laughs> third one would be actually start building some skill sets for partnership. Learn what it means to communicate your needs, like how you would communicate your needs, um, learn some conflict resolution. And so when your feelings get hurt, how can you say that without attacking someone? Mm. And how would you have to frame that in order to welcome the other person in, you know, a lot of relational development has to do with understanding your boundaries and your needs, and then knowing how to communicate that effectively to someone Mm. else. And there are certain skills that partnership requires. That we build. That we build. That we are not born with. We're not born we with. come with a heartbeat. No, no, no. So learning those would be a really good use of your singledom. And then what that, <laughs> you know, and what that does is it builds your inner confidence. I was talking about this on a coaching call today of like, the more that you learn these skill sets and you start practicing them in other relationships, whether they're your friends, your family, even coworkers sometimes, like, and you just practice relational development with all of your relational dynamics, you're going to feel more confident. And when you're more confident in those skill sets, when you do enter into a romantic relationship, you know, you're going to be able to feel like you can actually stay the course. Yeah. Because if we know on some level, we don't have the skills to uphold partnership, we might implode that relationship. We might sabotage something that's really good for us because on some level, we don't believe that we know what to do with it Mm, when it comes. We just haven't developed the skills. Yeah. All right. What's number four? Oh, I get four. Yeah. I like those three. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So I would get really clear on these four areas of testing for alignment before you move into the sexual domain. So again, bringing it back to what we talked about at the beginning. So really start to unpack what would emotional alignment look like to you? Like alignment between you and the person. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that means like, how do you want to feel when you're expressing your emotional interior, you know, and how do you want to feel when they're kind of giving you feedback about that? How do you want them to handle that? Then what would intellectual alignment mean to you? Like, what would you have to test for to see if you were intellectually compatible? Like, are you someone who really likes to share ideas? Like for me, if I am not intellectually stimulated, I am so checked out. Like I need to be able to learn from my partner. Like I'm such a nerd that I love learning and I spend so much time learning every day that 
Yeah, <laughs> we really are. We have our own book club. Just and like, for everyone on here, nerd is a compliment. Oh, yeah. These parts. Oh, yeah. yeah. I own that fully. Yeah. And uh, nerds are sexy. They are, especially when I put on my glasses. I think we have matching glasses, actually. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we do. And so That's really. weird, but go on. No, I mean, like you and me have oh, matching like glasses. No, like, no, no. Kai and I had matching outfits one day by accident. I went and changed. Jamie and I have a lot of the same clothes. I was like, no, we can't do it, babe. <laughs> We're not twinning. You already have a twin. So yes, it's, it's a complete backfire for yeah, me. Yeah. Someone's like twinning and I'm like, no, no doesn't work when you're no. the leftover. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so, so yeah, so figure sorry. out what intellectual alignment would look like to you. Emotional alignment, intellectual alignment. Spiritual alignment. Ooh. So really taking a look at what your spiritual beliefs are and what would be alignment in that domain? The fourth area is physical. So obviously you need to find your partner attractive and you know, your pheromones need to give the thumbs up. So you need to do the sniff test and like, you know, be in person with them and be like, does what's in front of the part that is likely to smell good. Like don't do the sniff test on the butt. I think that's good advice. That's good advice. <laughs> That's great dating advice. Yeah. Don't put your face in their butt. Yeah, not until you've earned it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like, really, like, do, does, you know, what's in front of me, does that work for me? Yeah, and being okay with all of the logical boxes being checked and mm-hmm. it just not being right. Yeah. Because if there's one skill we can build, mm-hmm. it's saying no to the wrong people mm-hmm. faster mm-hmm. and also allowing someone to... um like you said, we, you know, we sort of like fall in love the moment we swipe right. We've created this story of like. <laughs> I'm in a relationship. Yeah, like, oh my God, our kids are going to look so cute. Our wedding. Did you see, oh, that picture. Like, we can go get married in Hawaii. And we we have already made them the one. Mm-hmm. Instead of seeing that someone becomes the one mm-hmm. by respecting us, by treating us well, by us doing the same. Mm-hmm. And by them meeting all of those areas of alignment. And also the key is that you have to meet those areas of alignment for them, because if it's not a yes for them, it's not a yes for you either. Right. My God. Right. Like, and, but the, the love addict in us, the, the parts of ourselves that we are like, we're just refusing to make contact with that part will be like, no, 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 no. They are the one. They just don't know it. Oh my God. Trust me. No. Because when I hear people being like, but they're my twin flame. I'm like, well, first off, if you believe they're your twin flame and they're not choosing you, you're up, but sometimes twin flames, That's what they you do. have to fight for it. And I was like, no, that is like the epitome of the runner chaser relational dynamic. That's the epitome of, you know, avoidant anxious dynamics. And like, totally. all it does is it glorifies toxic relating. Well, yeah. And it, all it does is spiritually identify your wounding Barf. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> but it's my twin flame. It's like, actually you're avoidant mm-hmm. or you're anxious mm-hmm. and they're avoidant and you're really triggered by it. And you find what you, what hurt you very sexy. Mm-hmm. That's you better recode that shit mm-hmm. real quick. Mm-hmm. All right. So on that note, you got, you have about 12 things that you list. <laughs> We started with three and then uh, well, we ended up at four 12. categories. Yeah, you put four categories in the fourth one. That was sneaky. That was like a <laughs> subcategory of five other tips. Six ways to do six things. Okay. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today. Thanks for having um, me. We're definitely going to have you back on for. Ooh, I'm excited. We're going. To, it's me. I'm yes. definitely going to have you back on. 
and <laughs> we're going to talk. I'm going to get some ideas because we could jam all day. We could. Um, we could. And so where do people find you? I mean, I'm the most active on Instagram, Radical Self Love. Very um, simple. Yep. Kelsey Grant. Um, we're about to launch our academy. So that's legendaryloveacademy.com. Sweet. All mm-hmm. right. We'll link all these out. And uh, that's probably the two places that are the best to find me. I'm really active on Instagram, you know, when it's working. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, I'm up there every single day and I put down videos and content. Oh, yeah. And- Kelsey's content is fire. People <laughs> listening to this, you will want to follow her. Thank you. And her partner, Jamie, because mm-hmm. he also lays down the fire. Oh, very fuego. He just wrote a post the other day and I thought my heart was going to explode. Nice. It was amazing. A little erotic too. Well, erotic in the sense of like he's so good of like actually expressing his love and expressing who I am to him. And he'll write these beautiful love letters in the form of an Instagram post and put it out to the world. Like and that to me, like having, you know, the trauma that I've had, it's so nice to have someone it's who so- who, yeah, who celebrates me and who wants the world to know that I'm his partner mm, and beautiful feeling. Yeah. You know, so doing this work, everyone is, you know, critical because, you know, as much as I teach this, I have to do the work too. Me too. Shit. You know, and the only reason that Jamie arrived in my life is because I did all the things that I just told you to do. And I paced myself. <laughs> <laughs> I had to like cure my anxiety through mm-hmm. dating Kai. Mm. Anxiety that I was so good at not having when I was dating. Yeah. Till I like was, my heart was in one. Until you really and liked I somebody. Like, good Lord, I haven't cured that part. Yeah. I was so good alone though. <laughs> yeah. There's no mirrors. No one's yeah, testing yeah, me. Yeah, no I'm one's good. challenging me. Oh man. All <laughs> right. Well, on that, on that note, everybody. Um, please go check out Kelsey and legendaryloveacademy.com mm-hmm. and follow her on Instagram and we'll have her back because I know this was juicy. Yeah. All right. Love all of you guys. Have a wonderful day.